Thank you. Not quite sure what to do with that. Thank you. You can be seated. All right. Well, I'm excited to be with you today. This is a, this is a worship space, and today we are worshiping together uh, in a different way than we do on most chapel days. I just want to point that out. You know, we've been stretched in our thinking a lot, and uh, we don't have to dim the lights and bring the pad in in order to worship, right? But here's what, here's what worship always is. It's always participatory. Okay, if you're if you're in the room and you're not participating, then you're doing something other than worshiping. And so today I would really encourage you to participate and to engage. And I'm excited to hear from uh, Ellington in just a few short moments. It's an honor for me to have been asked to uh, even contribute anything today. And um, I brought my books because I always bring books. Today is a little bit like a like a cross between a class and uh, a, a normal chapel service, but. Uh, before we get into the weeds today, I did want to show a short video with a brief introduction first. I'm wondering, how many of you have ever watched a YouTube video before? Okay, all right. Yeah, so, yeah, someone said, what's that? I remember at my first church job down in Florida a number of years ago, one of the really forward-thinking musicians on my team said, you know, uh, Pastor Vinny, we should, we should put our worship music on YouTube. And I said to him, what's YouTube. It was probably 2005, and it was a legitimate response. I'd never heard of it before. He said, well, it's this new platform online where you can put videos of yourself, and then people will watch them. And I thought, who wants to watch a YouTube video of someone leading worship? You can go to church and see that. Turns out, I think I missed something. Uh, some people did start to put things on YouTube back then. They've done pretty well for themselves. I, it wasn't me. I, I missed that. I haven't been very forward-thinking when it comes to those things. But I know that most of you have grown up with YouTube as normal. You've probably seen lots of videos online. And there is a chance that you have seen the video that I'm about to show you. But we're all going to pretend like we've never seen it before, even if you have seen it before, so that you can really sink into the illustration. Okay, are you ready? All right, it's just less than a minute long. Here we go. Chris, are we ready? All right. Okay. Raise of hands. First time you, whether the first time you watched the video was just now or the first time you watched it before, how many the first time you watched the video you noticed the moonwalking bear? A few. Okay, okay, okay. We got some overachievers in the room, right? Now, I wonder how many of us... Yeah, now everyone's calling everyone's integrity into question. Okay, so... There was, in fact, a moonwalking bear both times. They didn't trick you. So if you go back and watch the video and you watch it again from the beginning, uh, there's different 
versions of this same kind of thing out there where uh, the setup is you're told to watch for something and then you're not watching for the other thing. I'm wondering how many of you have heard of the concept of inattentional blindness? Anybody ever heard of inattentional blindness? So uh, one of my good friends, David Dukeson, wrote a book called Neighborliness. It's one of my books I brought today. Uh, in the book, he discusses this topic, this concept of inattentional blindness, and describes it as a, a psychological phenomenon that causes you to miss the things that are right in front of your eyes. And I, I, there's a lot of different ways we could illustrate that. I wonder if you uh, maybe... Imagine that you grew up in a neighborhood that had some retail space right before you turned into maybe your neighborhood. And maybe you grew up in that neighborhood and there was like a Walgreens or a pharmacy right there. But if your family didn't need medicine on a regular basis or your parents didn't have prescriptions that needed to get picked up, you might drive past that building again and again and again and never realize what it is. And then maybe you get your license and your, your parent says to you, hey, on your way home today, could you pick up some ibuprofen at Walgreens? And you say, well, which Walgreens? And they're like, well, the one at the front of the neighborhood. You drive past it twice a day, but maybe you don't see it. Now, one of your neighbors who lives next door, maybe they stop regularly to pick up their prescriptions, and it's something that they see all the time. Has anyone ever had an experience like that? You're driving in the same place all the time or walking down the hallway, and you're walking past the same classroom, and you never realize who's teaching over there or which, which of your friends grew up nearby. Um, sort of like a moonwalking bear in the middle of a video that you're trying to count passes, you know, something like that. Um, I, I tend to notice this. I think I noticed it when I got my first car and I thought, wow, I've never really seen this kind of car before until I started driving it and realized that it was a common car that everybody was driving. It happens to me with articles of clothing. I get a new pair of shoes or a shirt and I think, oh, this is, no one else has these. And then you just notice that everybody's wearing the same thing. Apparently, we all shop in the same places and um, inattentional blindness. Now, we're going to come back to that in a moment. But I'd like us to take a look at a couple of specific passages in the book of John. Uh, from the mouth of Jesus, John chapter 17, there's this moment where Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he transitions in the prayer from praying for his disciples to praying for you and me, which is pretty cool to think about. It, it really is happening. Jesus is praying in John 17, verses 20 and 21. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, not only for his disciples. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays to his Father that you and I would be one, just as he and his Father are one. And then he says that he is praying this so that the world may believe. And I find that last part to be so very interesting. Now this calls back to John chapter 13, just a few chapters earlier when Jesus is eating the Last Supper with his disciples. And I can't seem to escape communion and the Last Supper. And every time I stand here, I'm talking to you about it in some way, shape, or form. But in this specific passage, it just, it grips me. And for those of you who have come to our communion chapels with any regularity, you've likely heard me talk about this specific passage before. In John chapter 13, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, including Judas. Then he predicts that he will be betrayed by someone at the table, and Judas leaves the room. 
I, I imagine that the disciples who were left might have been feeling angry. They might have been feeling confused. Uh, certainly they were hoping for an explanation. At least I would have been had I been there. In John 13, Jesus follows all of this up by telling his disciples that he will only be with them a little while longer. And then he gives them a very important set of instructions, a very important command. In John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And this one always gets me because Jesus didn't mention healing. Jesus didn't mention miracles. He didn't mention raising the dead or turning one lunch into enough food to feed thousands. He mentions love for one another, that that is going to be the defining characteristic of his followers. Just the same way he prays for us just a few chapters later that we would be one so that the world might believe. He tells his disciples that the world will know they are his followers if they love one another. But the question I come back to is, why does a command that sounds so simple seem so impossible? And could it be that the whole church loving one another would take more of a miracle than healing the sick or raising the dead? Now, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but think about how far we've come with modern medicine since the conversation at that table took place a couple thousand years ago. Think about how much better we are now at pain management and surgical procedures that are saving lives every single day. And now think about how much progress we've made at loving one another. It seems like that progress has been a bit imbalanced. And uh, why, why do we think that is? I, today you're going to hear a couple reasons why that might be. You're going to hear one from me and one from Ellington in just a few moments. I'm not going to steal his thunder, but one of the reasons why I think we can't seem to figure this out is because we're not all paying attention to the same things. We don't all see that there's a Walgreens in our neighborhood. We don't all see the moonwalking bear. We don't all see each other. I remember a number of years ago, my attention was turned to issues of injustice and inequity and other things that I had missed. And to be honest, my reaction was surprise. I couldn't believe that I'd missed it in my own community, in my own church, in my own schools, in my own friend group. I couldn't believe that I grew up in the same place, in the same neighborhood, with people who had such a different experience than I had. And I just hadn't been paying attention to the same things. And so I began to listen, I began to read, I began to pray. Now, I actually love to read. That wasn't much of a sacrifice to read. And I brought a few books. I, I mentioned that today. I, I'm going to ask if, uh, I think we have a couple of slides with uh, some pictures maybe on them uh, with some authors. Okay, here's a couple. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put them on there. I'd like you to be able to see the faces of the authors I'm talking about. And there's, a, there's another slide. Maybe, bef uh, is there one other one with some other folks on it? Sung Chan Ra and... Yeah, right there. Okay, so I just want to get some images in your, in your head. We go through some of these. We, uh, the God and Culture class that comes up in the spring, we talk about some of these things. Um, topics like lament 
that seemed so far off from anything that I would want to experience in a communal setting. Topics like that that seemed like an intrusion or something I might not want to lead people in, and yet so very important. Uh, there's one up, there was one up there of Mark Charles, Unsettling Truths, he co-wrote with Sung Chan Ra. We're talking today about reconciliation. Mark Charles takes it back a step as a Native American historian and says, I think we need to talk about conciliation because reconciliation implies that there was previous harmony. And a lot of times we're trying to reconcile that was never healthy in the first place. David Dukeson and his work on neighborliness, and uh, there's another one uh, on, the, on the former one. This, this book here is more of a reference. It's not the kind of book you read cover to cover. It's a, it's a worship resource book. It's 462 acts of worship. It's, it's prayers that have been prayed by people in the margins that we would never look to as a resource for our prayers. And, and all these other things, and I think... This is just the tip of the iceberg for me. This is what I came in contact with through friends and relationships. I like to listen to books and, and I like to listen to podcasts and I like to read and all this stuff. And I realized the more I listen and the more I read, the more I am inclined to keep listening and to keep reading and to keep growing because I realized that there's just like, I feel like I've made this much progress and then I zoom out and realize that in the grand scope it's maybe like this and then I learn some more and it, it kind of keeps doing this thing and I keep wanting to move ahead. I wonder if we could go to the one that has the prayer on it. Could we go to that picture just a moment ago? So this is one example of a prayer and I, you know, we do this from time to time when I lead the communion chapels. We, we pray prayers together. And I realize it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge for me to put a prayer on your lips. I didn't write this prayer. This prayer, and, and in this book, it's not credited. We're not trying to highlight and, and point out, parade people around in, in difficult circumstances. So we don't know the exact source. But I wonder if we could take a chance and just pray this prayer together, just to posture our hearts as we continue on this topic today. Would you pray this with me? For the roads that we have blocked, for the bridges that we didn't build, for the empty table that we didn't fill, forgive us. And I'd like to challenge you, and I understand that this challenge is for me too, that we would have a heart posture that is willing to learn and be challenged, to step back from a knee-jerk reaction to be defensive when things like this come up. Sometimes just the topic itself will, will cause a reaction before we even listen to what's going on. I am a work in progress. I have a long way to go. And one thing that I am so thankful for is that I've been blessed with a number of friends who have shown me grace and been willing to help me along the way. I mentioned one of them, David Dukeson, who wrote that neighborliness book. He's been willing to offer me gentle rebuke along the way when I've said something wonky or I've tried to articulate something it's come out the wrong way. I'm thankful for friends like Dr. Leibengood and for Joshua Edmond and for Ellington Porter and others who have come alongside and challenged me to keep listening and keep growing. Even when I say too many words or I, I think I've figured something out maybe a little bit better than I really have. I think back to a a time a couple years ago when there were some things happening in our community that I felt we needed to talk to in the God and Culture class. 
that I was teaching actually in this room. It was during the COVID era when we were separated and the class was so large we couldn't be in a, a smaller space and we had to be in here. And I called Joshua and Dr. Livengood and Ellington and I said, can you come today because I don't think I'm the one who needs to share what needs to be shared, but it needs to be shared and I'd like to just talk about it. And I wonder if we're willing to step aside from time to time and just have that kind of heart posture. And so with that prayer on our lips and that posture in our hearts, it's my honor to keep growing and to keep listening as I invite uh, Professor Ellington Porter to come up and take it from here. Can we, can we give it up for Vinny, Dr. Vinny Zarletti? This is a special moment. I don't have my hat on, and um, so uh, take take note of that, uh, President. Um, I want to pick up where um, Dr. Zarletti, uh, my dear friend Vinny, left off. I remember the day that you called us to come in, and I think something that I'm going to share. Um, today is what I shared in that class. And I remember that there was a response that we received back that was kind of like we were pacifying the moments. This is when George Floyd was happening. This is when Breonna Taylor was happening. This is when we had so much chaos in the land and what we thought that we had left behind us in the past called racism raised this ugly head. And I'm going to piggyback on what he started in John 13, 34. It said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I has loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. If we go to Matthew 22, beginning at verse 36, Jesus puts it like this. He's asked a question. He says, they said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? The Sadducees had already tried to trip him up and hear are the Pharisees coming? And they said, Jesus replied with this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the all the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. I want you to see here when we look in 37, it says you must love the Lord your God with all your what? Your all your what? And all your. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important that you love your neighbor as you love your Everything, love God, all my heart, soul, mind, love my neighbor, 
all of this hinges on how we love ourselves. Can I just bring, if, if, if I was in a court of law, I would have to bring something before you so that you can consider it in your mind as we begin to make the case for this. I want to say that one of the reasons why we have a problem with reconciliation, not only in the church, in the world as we know it, why we're still overseas trying to figure out which side we're going to support. I said I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Are we going to support Israel? Are we going to support Palestine? when we got babies dying on both sides? Are we going to stand for this? Are we going to stand for that? Are we going to march for this? Are we going to march for that? Or is this worship right? Or is this worship right? The problem with reconciliation is if we do, if we have a perverted view of love, then that is what we cast out. Love your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, with everything that you have, with every fiber within you. Love your God. But if I don't know how to love me like God loves me, then I love God from a distorted view. Okay, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hands because, you know, I don't want you to tell on yourself. I'm going to raise my own hand. I'm going to tell on my own self. There's some days I look in the mirror and I say, I don't like you. That's what I say to myself. I look in the mirror and I say, I don't know why I I don't know why people would love you. Because sometimes you look in the mirror and you see all of your flaws. I know nobody wants to admit that because we're we're here. We've got the Board of Regents here. We've got all of our pomp and circumstance. We didn't even have worship to get us primed up for this word and all these kind of things. But if the truth be told and we shame the devil, we've all had those days. Dreamer, we've all had the days when we look in the mirror And you have to kind of wonder, why, God, do you love me so much? I fall. I fail. I come to the altar and I lay everything at the altar. And and right when I leave the altar, I pick it up and I bring it back with me again. Why is it that you love me so much, God? And so what's happened, and it's getting so pervasive right now, that we have an image that we can't uphold of our own self. We put an image out there on, on Facebook. We put an image out there on Snapchat. We put an image out there on Instagram. Don't y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all, y'all, have you ever found yourself scrolling and scrolling and s- scrolling and s- Okay, scrolling and scrolling and then, you know, then you get off of one and then you say, oh, let me shut that down. Then you get out of Instagram, then you, for the, you know, y'all don't do Facebook. But for, our, for some of us, you know, who are up in age now, we go to Facebook, then we scroll on Facebook, we scroll, and then you go to Snapchat and you go, then you go to TikTok. And sometimes you find yourself feeling worse about yourself because your self-image has been attacked. But yet the command says, love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. 
love your neighbor as you love yourself. But I don't even like the way I see myself. So now I cast that upon God and I feel unworthy to even try to love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind. So I think lower. I feel lower. And what we do is we take a great big God and make him small. I know, I know. They won't teach you this in theology. They won't teach you this in some of the other classes. But I was just sitting there thinking one day, why is it we have a problem reconciling? Why is it that we have a problem finding this thing? So here it is when we don't have proper understanding of love and we got to understand love uh, I believe you talked about this Jeff the other day that we have in one in English we have one word that describes love love is love and so we say I love you is the same thing for uh, my wife and I as the same thing as for my brother and I it's the same thing as my children and I, it's the same thing as God and I. But when we look through the Greek, there's various different things for love. There's eros, there's filio, there's different types, but there's one that's called agape. And agapeo is the action of agape. So agape is the godly love that we break down and just simply says it's unconditional love. I was in a sermon series when, when I was pastoring and I was teaching and I took a whole year to talk about this particular word and it was called reach. And I would preach this thing and we're going to work on this today. And we would re- I would say and before we can learn how to love others, we need to reach up to God. Reach up to God because in this it's two things happens when we lift our hands. One, we honor God for who he is. But then the other thing is we surrender who we are to him. I know some of you guys are super comfortable. You got your arms folded, but we're getting ready to, we're getting ready to have some action, okay? So if you have a phone, just go on and put it up, you know, because we're getting ready to lift our hands because we're going to go ahead and put this in practice. So at, at the count of three, I want you to just sit up, just sit up, and then we're going to reach until we seem, feel like we're going to touch heaven, okay? All right, okay? Are you guys ready? See, I try to get you prepped. I try to get you prepped, all right? Did, did my good professorship and all that kind of stuff. All right, here we go. One, two, three, reach. Some of y'all ain't stretched all week. This is the best, this is the best stretch you've had, all right? Now, as you're reaching, as you're reaching, I want you to see, feel like you're reaching so much that you're touching heaven. And listen, shh, I want you to begin to, as you keep your hands up, I want you to begin to speak well of the Lord. Just speak well of the Lord. If it's nothing else but saying, God, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for keeping me. Lord, you are my God. Lord, you are my king. I know, don't get, don't get tired. Keep those hands lifted all, even in the balcony. Come on, keep your hands lifted. Reach up, reach up to him. Reach up, reach up, reach up. 
Come on, this is, this is, this is decluttering your mind to tap into his presence. Come on, come on, come on. Without a band, without a leader, just begin to just thank God, just begin to honor God. We're reaching up. We're reaching up to him. This is loving God with all of our mind, soul, strength, heart, soul, mind. Come on, come on. Ten more seconds. Ten more seconds. Ten more seconds. Ten more seconds. Five more seconds. Five more seconds. Three more seconds. Hands down, hands down, hands down, hands down. We're reaching up to him to connect to him. And when we do that, then watch this. It says love your neighbor, but it's also said that's the second thing as yourself. Before we can give anything out to anyone else, we've got to take in. So this is now we're going to reach in. So put our hands on our heart, hands on your heart. We're going to reach in. And what are we doing while we're doing this? Everything that God says about you is what we need to deposit into our hearts. God says that he loves us with an everlasting love. He says that he is a, we are a friend of God. He loves us so much. God loves us so much. He wanted to get back to the garden that we could have relationship with him, that he sent his only son to die for me, for you, for mankind. He has unconditional love that he already paid sin's bill so that we could have connection with him. Just so this is what I want you to say. I believe what God says about me. Say it again. I believe what God says about me. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am the lender and not the borrower. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I am loved because God loves me. Everyone looking up. Doesn't that empower you? Doesn't that strengthen you? How can we pour out of an empty vessel? The problem with the world is where everybody is trying to get attention and no one's trying to love. No one wants to say, I'm sorry, let's just get together and just, you know, we've, we've had some tough, turbulent times going around here and all these kind of different things. And I began to weep with those that weep because that's what the Bible says. Weep with those that weep and then rejoice with those that rejoice. We seem like we want to do the opposite. You said it the other day. We want to do the opposite. We don't want to rejoice with those. We want to get mad at them. 
When someone's down, then we want to kick them while they're down. The Bible says if you find someone that's down, restore them, pray for them, lift them up in the spirit. But in the church, I, I know, I'm, I know I'm, I'm getting uh, some folks getting riled up. But why have we taken the habit in the church to put people further down while they're already down? Why don't we come alongside them and begin to pray for them and restore them and see what can we do to help be accountable so that you can continue to be loved like God loves you. It amazes me that God loves me with an unconditional love, but I can't love you without judgment. Here's my last thing, and then we're going to turn it over. We've reached up to God. We've reached in to believe what God says about us. The last thing is that we're going to reach out. I want you, I know you're sitting real close to people, but I just want you to stretch out and touch somebody. Some of of y'all, that's a large stretch, right? I love it. Notice that this is not convenient. Some of you had to get up and move over. Some of you had to get up and get out the aisle. Some of you had to wrap around some folks that you don't even know. Some of you are touching people and you're like, I don't even like to touch my food. I don't like my food to touch. I don't want, I don't want to touch people. But this is not convenient. God never said this was going to be convenient. He didn't say that you're going to like everything. But he did say this is what the command is. Love your neighbor. Get out of yourself. Now this one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know some, see some of y'all ain't, y'all ain't even touching each other no more. Y'all just like, forget it, I'm, not, I'm going back to my phone. I am, I am not social, this is not, I'm, I am an interpersonal person. I don't like, I don't like, this is too much, this is too much. I am the uh, introvert of all introverts. I can go and be in my house for a week and nobody know. This is what I want you to do, I'm gonna challenge you. Hug someone, touch someone, just put your hands on them. And this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. I know, I know, this is going to challenge for some of you. Say, I love you with the love of the Lord. Look at them. Come on, look. Young man, that doesn't mean she's going to be your wife. Young woman, that doesn't mean let's get a ring by spring. Let me go on and clear that up. Now listen, shh. Gauge the energy, gauge the energy of this room. You can let you can let go. You can let go. Gauge the energy of this room. Do you realize how everything is a buzz right now? Why? Because we have engaged in what we call synergy. I connected my spirit with your spirit. I've connected and reconciled my my being with your being. And now we have said all of this and we're saying, wait a minute. If I love God with everything that he's given me to love him and I love myself with everything that he said about me, 
then I can love each other through all of this. The world can lose their mind if they want to, but the church can't. We have to be salt and light. Salt changes things. Light brightens up the path. I challenge you today, every day for the rest of this week, I do this, I try to do this daily, is I try to reach up to God. Come on, let's do it one more time. Reach up. To connect to who God is. Reach in. To believe what God has promised and said about me. And reach out. To bring that love to others. Come on, now let's give God a hand clap of praise as we seal this. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. All right, let's give it up for Pastor Ellington and Dr. Zarletti. You know, I was uh, sitting there listening to you all. Um, Man, what a masterful job. First of all, thank you so much for uh, sharing your heart. I was thinking about Dr. King's quote uh, when he says, uh, darkness doesn't drive out darkness, only light does that. And hate doesn't drive out hate, only love can drive it out. And, you know, practically um, speaking, uh, I was thinking, first of all, Pastor Ellington, Professor Ellington, um, can you just um, talk about like what should we do when we see um, individuals maybe in this community not walking out of this spirit of reconciliation that we've been talking about in love? How do we address that graciously? Because I've talked to a number of students like, I don't really know what to say. And. Dr. Zarletti, you can jump in as well. I don't really know how to handle or how to say or engage in that. I don't want to be offensive. What do you think? I think the one thing is um, the Bible says that that the world will know us by our love that we show. So a lot of times it's not what you say. It is what you do. It's being attentive in that moment because a lot of times people are lashing out and and they're they're lashing out because they don't really understand the true essence of what love is. So when you stand there with that person, you, you don't get offended, but then you love them in spite of that will help them to now be open to having a conversation. But you have to have relationship. One of the things I teach in the music business and I teach just people across the, uh, the nation is that the greatest principle and the greatest uh, thing to have is relationships. Relationships are the best form of currency. So when you have great relationships, then the second piece of that is be careful how you treat them. You want to nurse those relationships, make sure that they're strong. So forming a bond, forming a relationship, even with those people that you might not usually connect with or have said something that's offensive to you, by creating relationship, now then you have a space and a place to be able to address that. Wow, thank you, thank you. I, I was thinking along the same lines with relationship. I would also suggest don't wait to develop a relationship until there's a reason to confront somebody. I think that 
we have a hard time sometimes with the difficult conversations because they're the only conversations we're having. So if we're doing what Ellington was talking about, if we are reaching out regularly, if we're developing relationships, even out of our own comfort zone, it's, it's interesting that I think the three of us would all self-identify as introverts. And here we are the ones up here speaking. Amen, we have, somebody. We have the kinds of jobs that are extroverted, but I find that same thing to be true. It's, it's something I have to be very intentional about is developing relationships with people. But out of those relationships can come the version of this conversation that bears fruit and not the version of this conversation that just puts more distance between people who don't have a relationship to begin with thank you um you can still hold the microphone because um we absolutely adore god in communion right when you lead that communion it is an amazing uh, experience and i hear from students all the time like can we do another communion sir actually can we do three more and i'm like sure i love dr zarlady we could do three or four whatever you're gonna do um, but I did not know that the communion services came out of this response to the political and racial tension uh, that we experienced. And I guess the question for you is, how can today's Christian students um, actively engage right, in promoting unity, which that word unity, of course, doesn't mean uniformity. Right. And I think that we need to deal with that as well on, on another uh, day. But uh, it doesn't mean uniformity. But how do we promote unity and love among diverse members of this campus as we even consider John 13, 35? Like, what do we what do we do? Yeah, that's a great question. In that context, too, it was uh, Dr. Graham was the vice president of spiritual life at the time. And we were um, casting vision at the end of the it was sometime around 2016, 17 for the, the upcoming academic year. And we were talking about these tensions and how are we going to address some of these things. And we came up with the idea of trying to do some of that at the table. And I think uh, what that provided for us was a chance to look into some of the scripture verses from the Corinthian example of people who were eating and drinking judgment on, their sel on themselves by not discerning the body of Christ uh, and looking at each other eye to eye. And it, it reminds me, I mentioned uh, that my friend David, who had written that book, had offered some gentle rebukes in my life. And one of those times was I was, I was talking about deferring to one another, like I wanted to have a spirit of deference. And he challenged me not to just defer to one another in some sort of reluctant way, like, oh, well, I guess I've got to step out of the way so someone else can have a turn or something like that, but rather to really champion and, and to engage with people in such a way that I'm decentering myself because I'm genuinely interested in someone else and what they have to say and what they have to contribute. And I think if we develop those kinds of relationships where we are promoting others, not just because we feel we ought to, but because we're genuinely convinced that this is how the kingdom works. It seems like, and I, you can test this out in your own life, but the, the harder I try to get out of the spotlight, the more opportunities I have from the spotlight to draw attention to other people. And then that keeps me in that loop, even if I try to get out of it. But the more I seek the attention in the spotlight, the more everybody repels me from it. And it, it seems like I, I try to teach that to my children, right? Like the, the, if you go about trying to seek attention in the wrong way, you're going to get the opposite of what you're looking for. But if you are genuinely giving preference to your siblings, it makes your parents want to give you the things that you want. Yes. So it, 
the problem is we get manipulative and then we think, all right, if I do it that way, then I'll get what I want. And the Lord's not tricked, right? Like he sees, he sees through all of that. Sometimes parents can be tricked. The Lord's not tricked by that. So I think genuinely celebrating others and being genuinely interested in perspectives other than your own, there's so much that we can learn from each other. I think that's a great place to start. Thank you so much for that. Um, I know, Professor Ellington, that you have a song that you would uh, want to um, have us end with. And I was thinking as we sing this song about uh, Paul's perspective on the body and how like we're one body but many members and how everyone plays a significant part in this thing called the kingdom of God. And what I love about this song that Professor Porter is going to uh, wrap up uh, this service with is that it speaks to that. Like every one of us play a significant part in the body of Christ. I say this all the time, black you, Asian you, Native American you, white you, right? Uh, Latino you, it doesn't matter who you are. You matter to God and you matter in the kingdom. Your gifts, your talents, your ability, your quirks, your intellect, your brilliance. It matters to God and it matters to the kingdom of God. So why don't you look at someone, if I were in a chocolate church, I would say this, so let me just act like I am, and just tell them that you matter. You matter. Tell them that you matter because I think that people need to know that. Like who you are matters. Tell someone else you matter. Now don't be trying to throw game at the ladies, all right? But but go ahead and tell them you matter. You matter to the kingdom of God and we need you. That's what reconciliation is about. So can we just stand as we end today and let's just sing this song together. Thank you so much, Dr. Zarletti. Thank you so much, Prophet uh, Ellington. We appreciate you all.